0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark. Thank you. And uh, while you say good morning to somebody around you, and, well, here we, we are in the fifth week of a series that uh, started on Christmas Eve where where we uh, celebrated the birth of Jesus and uh, we are going all the way through to Easter where we're going to celebrate his resurrection and we're doing that by going through the book of Mark and and looking at uh, Jesus' life and uh, his ministry and how he did things and trying to walk with him and experience him in order to answer two questions. The first question is, Who is Jesus? Is he a a great teacher? Is he a prophet? Or was he indeed the Son of God? And then the second question is, uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Those of us who say that we are followers of Christ, what does that actually mean? And I'm really excited this year, uh, we are really going to uh, be celebrating uh, Easter and but we believe in order to do that, that we need to really experience his uh, last week in his in his earthly ministry and his death and uh, the the hopelessness uh, that must have been from Friday evening to Sunday morning, and the way that we 're going to be doing that is. Uh, celebrating Holy Week, which is the the last week before His death and resurrection, and we're going to be meeting here um, each evening for a worship gathering and uh, and really going through like what happened and unfolding the the final events of His life. On Thursday, we'll be going through uh, Passover Seder, uh, what Jesus and His disciples were doing in the upper room. Uh, which brings a lot of richness to our faith, understanding what happened uh, uh, beyond, like what the uh, traditional things that they were doing through the Last Supper with uh, Jesus and the disciples. And then Friday, uh, we are going to be experiencing and, and, and really just feeling uh, him being crucified and dying on the cross. And after that gathering, we're actually going to be showing the passion so it'll be kind of a late evening but just uh so uh you guys can be prepared for that and then right after the passion we're we're going to be challenging uh our community to sign up and uh we're going to have a i think it's like a 36 hour uh prayer vigil here um in in the building god has, has given us uh set apart for his purpose and uh so people will be there and praying and anticipating um Jesus uh, resurrection from the dead, which we will experience together in a huge uh celebration and it should be a lot of just it should be amazing and hopefully it really moves us as a as a community of God. So I let you guys all know that in advance because we understand that that you're gonna have to change your pattern of life. Like to say the least, right? And, uh, uh, you know, you may have to do uh, TiVo or DVR Lost on Tuesday so you can be here and, and things like that. But you know what? Hey, you know, it, uh, we believe that that it is worth it. So uh, hopefully you'll, you'll make room in your life uh, to experience that last week. And I uh, really pray that uh, this Easter will be the most special Easter that you've ever experienced. So... We're in the 5th week. We're starting in Mark chapter 3. And what we've seen so far is uh in Jesus' ministry, uh, when he first came on to the scene, he was very popular with the religious people and was and really kind of a unknown uh among just the regular people, people who weren't ov- uh overly religious, but But, you know, probably believed in God and and things like that. And over the past few weeks, uh, we've seen the scales tip. We've been seeing uh, Jesus uh, infuriating and rubbing the religious leaders the wrong way and really establishing why he really came and, and was to seek those out and heal those who need a doctor and not those who already think that they are good enough. And this week, uh, we kind of hit a tipping point in the story of Jesus where, where now he just doesn't have people who are against him, but they will identify themselves as his enemy. So if you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, uh, it starts out, Jesus went into the synagogue again. I want to pause there. That, that word again, you know, hold on your seats. That means that he was there before. And, uh, and actually, as we, we look in the Gospels, that this was a, a regular practice that, that, that Jesus did, that he set aside the Sabbath, and, he, and it was an important thing for him to go to the synagogue each and every sabbath and it's kind of interesting you think about it you know Jesus is here and and he is coming head to head with the predominant religious structure of that day but even though he is turning the religious structure on its head he's still going to the synagogue you got to ask yourself well why would he do this well you know one that's that's where people were and they were coming together and and it was a time of of learning and, and preaching and and singing it's it's funny to me a lot of people don't think about Jesus as singing but Jesus sang and there's several uh uh occurrences of that through through scripture that that he would participate in worship gatherings he would also come and uh, connect with people and build relationships, and and do different things like that. You know, the same reason that we we come together each and every Sunday, that it's a time to set aside part or uh, a portion of our day and dedicate that uh, to connecting with God and 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 building into our spiritual lives. In Hebrews chapter. Um, Ten or thirteen. I'm sorry, I don't remember the actual address, uh, uh, but I remember the verse, and that's the important part. Uh, that that says, you know what? D- do not neglect meeting together, as some people have. Even in the first century, some people were like, man, that's that's synagogue or that's church. You know, I don't, I, I I don't want any part of you know that. And it says, the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect that, but but come together. So you can be encouraged, that you can encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. And throughout Scripture, this thing that we do on a Sunday is an important uh, part of the rhythm of being a follower of Christ. And it continues after the synagogue again, and notices a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies... Now we... We're no longer identifying them. This is a turning point here, that they they are his enemies, that, that they watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now, people are coming to the synagogue for different reasons. Jesus is coming to... To set a part of his day um to to worship God, to focus on God, and to connect with other people the the religious rulers his enemies at this point, why are they there they 're there to condemn they 're there to point out and and to trap and and to to discourage people from from elevating or pursuing the relationship, and they want people to focus on the rules. And continues on that Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So we have this picture, something going on. Once again, it's the Sabbath. And you're not meant to be doing, remember last week eating grain and the whole bit and the religious rulers were all like, hey, you can't eat grain and everything. And, and we saw through Jesus' answer that that it, a follower of Christ, and this was, again it helps us answer the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It means sometimes that that we have to set aside religious ritual, observation of religious ritual, and that must Yield always yield to our moral obligation. Saying if we have the ability to to help somebody, that you know, if we're driving along and and somebody somebody is in need or we know that somebody is in need, and but you're like, oh, well, I'm not I'm not going to help them or something like that because I'm on my way to church. You know that 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 is that is getting our priorities messed up. And what Jesus here is is re illustrating that, that you know what? Our observance to religious ritual must always yield to our moral obligation, to to the to the relationship, to being the tangible hand of Christ. So you have this guy with a, a deformed hand, and in the first century uh, uh having, a, having an injury like that, you know, they're, they're, it's very debilitating. And it affects you not only physically, but also spiritually and socially, especially this guy. Because we know that uh, in Luke, it says that it was his right hand. And, you know, those of you who are left-handed, you know, you all feel like you're discriminated against uh here in the 21st century, well, you know, in the in the in the first century, if you were left-handed, that that people would uh, mistrust you, and and they they wouldn't want to do business with you. And here we have this guy uh, in the Greek says it's a withered hand, and what people think happened because it's made clear that this didn't happen at birth. that this happened sometime in this person's life, that there must have been an injury in the nerves probably died and his hand just kind of died like withered on the vine if you can kind of picture that in your head and you know it being the sabbath and everything jesus could have very easily said hey come in the back of the synagogue or behind the synagogue and you know we'll we'll heal that and we'll be on our way no you know no problem no mess but instead jesus takes a different track and it's kind of interesting if you think about why did he do it this way because he knew that his enemies were watching him. He knew that he was going to get all sorts of grief by by elevating his, his moral obligation above the religious ritual that people were observing. But he did it anyway. He invited the guy up in front of everyone. Not covert, but overtly doing this. And then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. In fact, in, in Matthew, he goes on a little bit deeper and, uh, you, and talks about an illustration that Jesus used in, in this, this instance. He says, look, say that you had a sheep, and the sheep fell in the well. On the Sabbath, would you look at your sheep and and just say, hope you can tread water for, you know, like 24 hours or something like that, you know, and I'll come back. And, and if you're, you know, if you're dead, we'll have sheep soup. But but if, uh, if not, I'll pull you out. But Jesus is saying, what would you do? And they didn't answer. And he's all like, of course you would pull your sheep out and save the sheep. And... Uh, and what he's, and he, then he goes on to say, how much more valuable is a person in God's eyes than this sheep? So he, he looks around at them angrily, and he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. When I read this verse, it, it uh, we have a thing, my son and I, Boo Bear, Eric and, and I, uh, his sister is aptly named Madison, and she can get mad very, very easily. And uh, and whenever she does, like, we've come up with this little song, and usually, like, he'll start singing it. In fact, you're here. You want to come sing it for everyone? <laughs> <laughs> Guess not. Uh, she'll be all angry, and it'll you know, start out, every time you're mad, you're probably sad. Papa and Boo Bear are here to make you glad, but he doesn't. He, no, no, it's not ah. Uh, he doesn't do it to make her feel better. She, he does it to antagonize her and make her blow up in anger. And uh, it's like, no, no, don't, don't do that. Yeah, and everything, but, uh, but I was looking. It's like you know, Jesus has this this righteous anger, and and, and Christians uh, have this kind of like really. Uh, a problem with, with the emotion anger. You know, a lot of people is like, well, it's, it's, it's not Christian to be angry. Well, maybe it's not Christian to be angry, but, but it, it, for a follower of Christ, it's, it's perfectly legitimate to be angry at things that God is angry at and, and breaks God's heart. And you know what? I, there's something, there is a righteous anger. We should be angry when injustice happens we should be angry when when people are are perverting what it means to to be a follower of him and and Christ is here say, is is angry because they have elevated this 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 law and as we learned last week this law that was put into place to serve man to benefit man but they have turned it on its head that's saying that, you know what, man is serving the law. And, he, and it made him, it saddened him and it actually angered him. And he goes on after that, he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at the sight of, of his hand being restored, what did the religious rulers do they were so incensed that that he had he had violated this this law that they have been serving that they went away at once and met with the supporters of Herod to how to plot Jesus how to plot to kill Jesus now the people who the Jews that that supported Herod these were like tax collectors and, and things like this. Well, we know how the religious rulers felt about tax collectors. He would, they would call them scum. They would, they would call them unclean. They would call them all this thing. And here we have, you know what, in 21st century, I have a saying or 20th century that, you know, politics makes strange bedfellows. Well, it was the same thing in the in the in the first century. You know, an enemy of my enemy is is my friend. And here you have the Pharisees who would never have anything to do publicly or have any sort of relationship with the supporters of Herod that that you have them going and saying, Look, you know what, Jesus is a problem for you because he he threatens the Roman political structure. Well, he's also he is also a threat to us, our, our, um, our religious structure, and we must kill him. So here we have a major tipping point from Jesus being an a inconvenience to a, a threat to the very fabric of society. And their plan is just to eliminate him. In verse 7, a little while later, it says, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, uh, Idumea, from the Jordan River, and even as far north as Turos and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. You ever had that, like, threat? Like being crushed by a crowd? I haven't. Uh, he had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whatever the, whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the evil spirits would throw themselves to the ground in front of him, shrieking. And I'm not going to shriek. I'm just going to read it. You are the Son of God. And this is interesting. Once again, when people are trying to uh, uh, identify Jesus as the Son of God, as, as the Messiah, Jesus continues his practice up until this point and, and sternly condemns the Spirit not to reveal who he was. In a few weeks, we're going to see, actually, the first person that Jesus does commission as the, his first missionary. And like a lot of biblical things and things that Jesus did, it was absolutely bizarre, and I love it. So after that, Jesus went up on a mountain, and he called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came. Then he appointed 12 of them and called him them his apostles. Now, him choosing twelve is very significant, in, and in our day and age, in our culture, we don't we don't have uh, kind of the 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 symbolism of why there was twelve. But well, there was twelve tribes of Israel that we talked about last week, and in the first century, when when there was a group that wanted to say, look. Israel has lost its way. They are no longer the, you know, under God's protection. And we want to say that our group is that we are the new or the chosen ones. We are the new children of God. What they would do is what? They would pick 12 members. And what Jesus here is doing is he, he is making a statement once again, attacking the religious structure of that day. And he's saying, look, you guys have missed it. And we are the new Israel. That, that, you know what, these 12 that we are going to carry out and fulfill the promises that God has made to us. And we, the church, that's why a lot of people say that we're the new Israel, that, that we are the new, new people who've been chosen by God they were to accompany him and they would be sent out to preach given the authority to cast out demons and these were the 12 he chose i'll just allow you to read those on your on your own and and Follow uh, going on uh, later after he has his 12 and they've started to establish this ministry of the 12 going out with the authority. That's what the apostle means, the authority to preach in Jesus' name and to heal in Jesus' name. And as his fame uh, increases, it says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowd began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And verse 21 is uh I've it's captured a lot of my mind time uh this week uh because it's kind of it's kind of difficult when you think about it. Uh verse 21 when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. And here you know, as we pursue and try to answer this question, who is Jesus? Well, you know what? A, a possible answer for you might be that he's crazy, that he is out of his mind. In fact, we see his family members here um, and, and coming and they're saying, you are absolutely out of your mind. Now, you can read into that in in several different ways because like in what it would happen in the, in the first century was if there was a false teacher that that you could be killed if you went up the, against the the religious structure of the of the first century they could have you killed and basically uh, what they're doing or what they may be doing here is they they, they think you know like you're out of your mind like if you read it like that, like going up against these guys, but probably really what's going on here is that uh, his family are is trying to protect Jesus. And in this way, for you know, to kind of give us some context, say that you had a family member who, who commi- committed a, a crime and they ended up killing somebody. And it's filmed, and like tons of people saw it. I mean, they got them dead to rights. There's all sorts of evidence, and here, you know, and so we're, you know, they're they're going to be set up to to be killed. That our our judicial system will give them the death penalty, unless what? Plead insanity. Because our society, like their society, that they did not put insane people to death. And here we have the, his family, his brothers and his sisters and their cousins and uh, everyone except Mary. Mary had a little bit of an unfair advantage. She had the angels telling her what's happening and everything like that. That They're coming and they're like, look, you know what? We know where this parade is headed and we don't want to see our family member Jesus killed. So we're going to plead insanity for him so he is not that he does not get the death penalty and 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 doesn't discredit our our family and we can move forward. And but the relig- teachers of the religious law, they had a different idea. They had a different idea of who Jesus was. They went in, um, and arrived from Jerusalem and said. He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. So his family members are saying, Jesus is crazy. Well, here's another possible answer that that Jesus, of who he is, that, that Jesus is possessed by Satan, by the devil. That the reason that he has these powers is is because they come from the pit of hell, from 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 Satan, and then Jesus calls them over. I gotta tell you, just Mark commentary here. Somebody's possessed with Satan and calls me over. I'm going the other way. But 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 here, you know, they come over and respond with an illustration, or he responds with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. And essentially jesus here to the pharisees like idiots you know what do you you're you know i'm possessed by satan so satan's coming and and casting out satan like this doesn't make any sense you're just you're just talking and and he's like look it doesn't make any sense everybody knows that a government that is divided will fall Everyone knows that an organization that is divided will fall. Everyone knows that any relationship or a marriage, when you divide, that you fall. And here he's saying this this line of reasoning doesn't make any sense. And then he says this, and this is going to give us a clue, once again, who Jesus says he is says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemies the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. What Jesus is saying here is, you know what? If you get this question wrong of who I am and and you accredit me to just being a lunatic, or if you say that I was demon-possessed and my power comes from Satan, well, you know what? You're getting the answer to this question wrong, and it has eternal consequences. He's saying, look, that if you say that that my power is derived from anything except the Holy Spirit, the consequences to rejecting the Holy Spirit through Jesus holds the same holds the same consequences as rejecting God himself. And Jesus just really you know ratcheted up the stakes here, he's saying, "Look, this is the way it is." that the Holy Spirit is working through me and it is nothing else. And you get this wrong, you're not just wrong for a day. You're not just wrong for your earthly life, but this has eternal consequences. At this point, it says, then Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them there was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Uh, Now at this point, I just, I think about Mary, you know, his his mom and the conflict that she must have been going through. Like she knows who Jesus is, but Jesus is also her son. And I look at it this way, you know, and and I can't give you the perspective from a a mom, but from a dad, uh, say that that an angel told me that Madison or or Boo Bear was headed for this, you know, great purpose, but it was going to cost them their life. And not only just being killed, but they were going to be killed in a horrific manner. And I think, there, there, you know, there might be a little bit of crisis of faith, especially when it's all starting to come to fulfillment. And this is 30 years after she was told, you know, what the deal was. And even though everything that she saw in Jesus and, and, and raising him and even with the, you know, 30 years is a, is a long time. And to start seeing that, you know what, this is actually going to become real that the religious structure and the political structure is going to end up killing my little boy, that there is probably a whole lot of internal conflict going on here. So she, she comes, and I, and, and I don't know what her motivation was, maybe just to talk to him, maybe to be reassured and just, you know, to Jesus say, look, this is my purpose. This is why I came, Mom, and it's going to be Okay. But nevertheless, they all come, maybe to try to talk him out of his direction of where he's going, maybe to plead insanity, maybe just to tone it down a little bit. Who knows why? But this is what Jesus does, and this is very difficult. Jesus replied, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers, and anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Here, Jesus has just made a huge decision. He has essentially set aside the comfort of his earthly family and has chosen. His eternal family, and he's also through this communicating to us that you know what it, you know what sometimes what it means to follow me is that you lose your earthly family. Thank God I've never had to make that choice, but my mom had to make that choice. She comes from a a, a Jewish background; her her whole family is is Jewish, and. Uh, when she came to the United States and and she met my dad, um, and they fell in love. I, I that's right, yeah. And uh, I just want to make sure I got the got in the right order here. And uh, and she became a, a follower of Christ. I don't know, if it, it all. I don't know the order, but that, that 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 happened. She got married um to my dad, who's a who's a Gentile, no offense. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> her her family said, look, if you marry this guy, if you follow this Jesus, you are dead to us. And my mom had to choose. She had to make the same choice Jesus made here. To be a follower of Christ meant to lose her earthly family and to have a new eternal family. And her family followed through on their threat. They pronounced her dead and even though she repeatedly trying to con, uh, contact them, she would not get response. And it wasn't until my, my brother was born that, that uh, those relational doors started to open once again. And sometimes, and this is hard. I, mean, I couldn't imagine making the decision that she made and I can't imagine the decision that, that Jesus made here. But we're trying to answer two questions through this series. Who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? And a lot of times, what it means to follow him is to sacrifice some of the things that are closest to us. You guys pray with me? Dear Lord, uh, troubling, troubling chapter in your life. And I just, I'm challenged by your actions and and how you interacted with those around you. Uh, I'm honestly just uh, pressed to answer the question would would i make the same choices would i make the sacrifices that you require could i make the same choice that my mom made so many years ago god just ask you to to fill us that you infiltrate our, our, our sleep and our mind time, that we struggle and come up once and for all with the answer to these questions, who you are and what does it mean to follow you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.